This is Science Friday. I'm Ira Flato. This hour, we're talking beans, bears, bees, and butterflies. We'll hear what's a buzz with bee and butterfly biology. But first, the case for why we should eat more beans. I mean, they are delicious. They're high in protein, efficient to grow, and inexpensive. And they're an absolute staple in so many cuisines. But yet the average American eats just seven and a half pounds of beans annually. That's only a few cans of beans every year. So why don't Americans eat more of them? Joining me now to talk about why the U.S. is behind on beans is Julieta Cardenas, a Future Perfect fellow at Vox who reported this story. Julieta is based in New York City. Welcome to Science Friday. Hi, Ira. Thanks for having me on. So nice to have you. You know, let's start out with the the basics of just what a bean is, biologically speaking. I think people get get them confused. Sure. So a bean is a pulse, and a pulse is a subfamily of legumes. Pulses are the edible seed of a legume, and they include lentils, peas, and beans. Soybeans are also a legume, but they're not a pulse. They're an oil seed. That's because the soybean is higher in fat, whereas pulses are low in fat. All right, I get it there. Now, environmentally speaking, when you're planting beans, why are beans such a good choice to plant? Sure. So beans make a lot of sense as a climate mitigation strategy, and they'll also help make global nutrition more accessible. And there's a few reasons why. First is that they use a lot less land to grow a good amount of protein. So 23% of agricultural land is used to grow plants, and from that we get 63% of global protein. On the other hand, livestock uses 77% of agricultural land, but only provides 37% of global protein. So in terms of land use, plants, including beans, are way more efficient. Beans are also adaptable to growing in different conditions, so you can grow them in drier soils. So they're a good choice in terms of water use as well. And the second thing is beans are helpful in making soil healthy. They're nitrogen fixing, which means the roots of legumes work in partnership with bacteria in the soil, and they end up leaving some of this nitrogen in the soil, which acts like a natural fertilizer. So when you grow beans in rotation with other crops, over time you're improving the soil health and helping all your crops grow. Ah, so that's why the indigenous way of growing with the three sisters, beans, corns, squash, works so well. Exactly. They all help each other out. And it's called milpa in um, Spanish. So what is the most grown bean in the U.S.? So the most grown bean in the U.S. is, this, well, it's an oil seed, but soybeans are the most grown. And we grow a lot of soybeans, but we're feeding them to livestock animals. So when a livestock animal like a cow eats soy, they have to metabolize what they're eating. So up to 96% of the protein that they're getting from eating soy is lost through their natural metabolic processes. So they, they poop out a lot of the protein. I mean, instead of us eating it, yeah, we don't get it from them. That, that makes a lot of sense. You know, there's been a great controversy over the years about farmers not actually owning the seeds they plant because seed companies like Monsanto and Bayer, they retain the rights to their own seeds. Tell us about how that works. So before the 1980s, seeds were open for use. They were in the public domain. But then there were some changes to intellectual property law. And that made it possible for companies to create new seeds and create patents for these seeds. The effect this ends up having is that the seeds become more expensive. 
they can end up costing twice as much. And it also means that big seed companies, they can go after farmers if these farmers are growing proprietary Mm. crops. Yeah. And how does that affect what ends up on our plates? So because these seed companies want their seeds to be competitive and to be grown a lot and to produce a lot of yield, there's not a lot of incentive for them to have a wide variety of Mm. beans. So we all end up eating the same kind of beans. And in the U.S., that would be a lot of pinto beans, uh, which are delicious. But, you know, there's more beans that we could be eating. Hmm. That's, that's very interesting. As I mentioned earlier, the average American eats less. I, I found this hard to believe. It's less than eight pounds of beans a year. I mean, how does that compare to other countries? We're definitely not number one when it comes to bean eating. Um, so Rwanda and Burundi are number one for eating beans. And in Rwanda and Burundi, people eat around 130 pounds of beans per year. In the U.S., we only eat around seven and a half pounds of beans per year. In Mexico, the number used to be higher, but now people are eating around 20 pounds of beans per year. So in the U.S., we definitely could play catch up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, to make beans more of a mainstay. And why is that? Why do we eat so little beans compared to other places? Well... In the U.S., there's a few cultural reasons that are holding people back from eating beans. One is people are probably intimidated because they don't know how to prepare them. They might be under the impression that you have to soak beans and no one has time for that. But the good news is you can just cook them. And if you have a pressure cooker, it's all the better. It's all the easier. The other factor that comes into play is that people associate beans with struggle during the early onset of COVID-19, bean purchasing shot up 400%. So everyone was rushing to stock their pantries with beans just in case, just to be prepared. Um, But people don't necessarily want to associate struggle with the meals that they're making now. So beans have to overcome this little PR hurdle. That's where there's like room for creativity from bean companies to make beans more of a hero of a dish. Yeah, because beans are treated like they're a second-class food. Right? Yeah, definitely. And people might feel like getting a can of beans is like a culinary no go. (laughs) There's, (laughs) but I eat a lot of canned beans and there's a lot of, yeah, I do too. (laughs) There's a lot of potential there. Yeah. You know, let, let me go back to that old saying about beans, beans, beans. They're good for your heart. And the more you eat, I'm, I'm not going to go there with the rest (laughs) of it. So I, I assume that's also a reason why a lot of people stay away from it because they're gassy. What makes them so gassy? So what makes them gassy is that people are not used to eating an adequate amount of fiber. And so when you eat fibrous food, you may, you know, pass wind. But once your body gets used to having an adequate amount of fiber, that hopefully won't keep happening. Yeah, and I understand this fear of beans And gassiness goes way back a long time, doesn't it? Definitely. Pythagoras, famous for his triangles, uh, was afraid of beans. Uh, He and his followers thought beans contained human souls and that eating them would be a kind of cannibalism. And this might have been because Pythagoras thought beans, in his case, fava beans, because that was what was there, looked like little fetuses. And there's also the fact that in ancient Greece, 
wind and souls were related concepts. So he thought eating beans and passing gas was like the soul leaving the body. Oh, I can't. That's amazing. This was a this was a smart guy, but those were different times. Yeah, those were different times. But then you know, you have Diogenes the cynic, who did not care for social pleasantries, and he ate a lot of beans especially lupin beans. And he did this because lupin beans were seen as a food of the underclass and he wanted to be hardcore. And the fact that they're the musical fruit was also a plus for him because if he could offend some normies, then he would he would take that chance. <laughs> and so, you know, you could be like Diogenes if you want. I have no fear. <laughs> no fear. <laughs> right. No, no fear. fear. Well, it's something now I'll remember Pythagoras about for a different reason. I mean, and beans, of course, as you're saying, they have a PR problem. Is there a way we can get over that? I mean, is, is, is there anybody working on that? Yeah. So we definitely should try to get over this PR problem. And there's nonprofits like Beans is How, which is trying to double bean consumption by 2028. And Beans is How is guided by the UN development goal of ending hunger, achieving food security, and promoting sustainable agriculture. So all of those big goals from the little bean. Um, and there's also companies like Rancho Gordo, which are selling heirloom varieties of dried beans and trying to create more of a market for heirloom beans. That's cool. The city of Boston is also having their first ever Bean Town Bean Fest this summer. So yeah. that's pretty cool. Can't talk about beans without Boston. Right? <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much, Julietta. Very interesting. Thank you so much, Ira. It's been real. <laughs> <laughs> You fit right in on our program. Julieta <laughs> Cardenas is a Future Perfect Fellow at Vox based in New York City. And if you feel like you've been left out and want to chef it up, my colleagues at SciFry put together some of their favorite bean recipes for you. Visit sciencefriday.com slash beans to give them a try.